Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the HCD VidCast. This is episode eight of our Curious Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking about brand harmony here in May 2020. Um, a little bit about what that is, some examples. Um, but to start off, let, let's talk about uh, who we are and what we're doing. Um, so welcome back to everybody who's been with us on this journey and welcome to everybody that's new. My name is Michelle Nigella and I am VP of Research and Innovation at HCB Research. Uh, I have a PhD in Behavioral Neurosciences and I'm here as always with Katherine Ambrose. Hi everybody, welcome back. And if you're new here, we're happy to have you. My name is Katherine Ambrose and I am the manager of behavioral marketing sciences with our research and innovation team at HCD. And we are thrilled to welcome back Allison. Allison, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi guys, this is Allison Gakowski. I'm the director of global research here at HCD. Um, I have a pretty cross-functional role from business development and education through account and project management. So I am excited for our conversation today. <laughs> yeah, this one's super relevant for you. I know you talked about it a yeah. lot. Um, just to touch on who we are in general, what this is and what we're doing, HCD is a research house. We do consumer and market research, looking at how consumers respond to products and stimuli and communications. We do our work predominantly using traditional market research with psychological and neuroscience approaches. Um, we look at product development all the way through marketing, from exploration all the way through validation of concepts and products. We do our work globally. Um, sometimes it's in person where we actually wire people up to things um, or interview them in person and other times it's online or over the phone. Um, so that's a little bit about who we are. But today we're going to be talking about a topic uh, called brand harmony, and it's a pretty cool one for those of you that might be brand managers or work on brand work um, or marketing of communications where you talk about a brand. This could be really relevant to you. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about what brand harmony even is. Um, and you know, this, this line kind of came from our boss Glenn a bit, right? He's, he loves saying it, the, does your product meet the promise, right? Yeah, it's true. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think I hear it about 10 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really, it does the experience that you have match your expectations. And the reasoning behind why that's so important to like brand managers and people doing marketing and, and product developers is because, you know, like 80% of, of product introductions fail in the market. And so that that's pretty severe. And a lot of that seems to be because it's not necessarily meeting their expectations. So when the consumer buys something and it doesn't meet other expectations, then they're not going to buy it again. They're going to tell their friends, all those sort of things. So what do you expect? Does that meet what you actually get? And if it doesn't, then you're not going to like the product, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it, Allison. <laughs> I was going to say, absolutely. And we talked about this in our previous episodes of... Um, the consumer technical model and alienation about how important this idea of brand harmony is. So I'm glad we're finally taking the time to really flesh it out and, and dive in deep as to why it's so important because we've talked about it in the past and it's, it is, it is why that, you know, those, mm -hmm. those new products, they, they fail. Now, the example really I hard. like to give is um, Fructis. It's the one I always use, right? Because, you know, I think people know what it is. It's a shampoo, right? It comes in a green bottle. 
Um, it has pictures of fruit on it. The name itself has the word fruit in it, fructis, right? So if you were to pop the cap and take a sniff, as people do when they're you know, at the shelf in the supermarket, when you pop open that shampoo bottle, this green got fruit on it called fructis and it smells like vanilla. Um, it's not going to be cohesive. It's not going to match, right? So you're not going to, you're, when there's like that, you know, disconnect there between the, say, packaging and the name and the branding with the actual experience of the product, then you actually don't like it. So a lot of research has shown that that can decrease your liking. That makes sense. And I think also to go along with that, it's, it's really about having that seamless experience where you want not just the, the product, which has so many features within itself to fit a certain portfolio, but you also want the communications and you want the messaging to all kind of be consistent within um, its visual identity and the positioning that it's trying to fit within yeah. its market. Like a broader example is if you have a commercial on TV that doesn't match the product experience, right? So I think another example that we like to talk about for Brand Harmony is um, something like Buick, right? So the car Buick, people often think of it as like a very traditional car, maybe for like an older consumer, but the current ads are really pushing it as being younger. So that kind of conflicts with what people's idea of it is. So the question becomes, can you actually shift people's thoughts or does it um, maybe disappoint them because it's not meeting their expectations? So in that case, if their new innovations for Buick don't meet the new expectations, then you're going to have product failure, right? Right. So there's this like, off of brand harmony, there's this disharmony mm -hmm. that it's not, it's not matching. Yeah. And now those and pieces know, can include anything, right? Yeah, go ahead, Allison. Right. And we know that brands change, right? Their identities can change over time. Um, I mean, going along the car, I think of Volvo. It used to be just very, very yeah. safe. Um, and that's what it was perceived Family at. car, yeah. Right. And now it's a little bit, I would, I would put it a little bit more on the luxury line. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're rather expensive and they're very nice to look at. Someone in a younger generation doesn't have that perception. So it's how does, how do you stay true to who you are while still evolving your brand? It's a very mm -hmm. delicate and fine line to walk. Um, so there is, there is room to be, to have this slight disharmony, if you will, as you're yeah. trying to evolve. Shift. But what's yeah. that balance? What's that yeah. balance between staying true to who you are, but still moving your brand? So then you forward? still have to have it cohesive with the rest of the yeah. pieces though. So if you move exactly. your positioning to be luxury, then the product experience better meet luxury, right? Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So all those pieces that are there on the right of the screen do still have to be met even when you're shifting um, what you want your product to be. Right. It's a dance to be done, right? Everything has to be moving <laughs> together. All these different pieces, we can't just start throwing our brand in this direction. Everything has to come along with it in a very choreographed and fine-tuned way. Right. Yeah. And I think that leads really nicely into what we're saying on this slide is that it has to move together. That's the consistency that is being discussed here, that con consumers are changing, but overall you want th this delicate balance to move mm -hmm. and evolve with your... So even when you bring in like a new product to your line, you know, so like if Buick were to bring in a new car, it better fit the rest of what's going on, right? Right, exactly. And I, and I think that kind of helps to explain why brand harmony is so important because it's really ensuring that 
you're meeting the promises that are being made in the marketing messaging. Now to be able to do that, you actually do have to understand what your consumer's perceptions are, like what they think your brand is, right? What it's recognizable for. Yeah, absolutely. And that way you can actually match that experience to whatever's going on with the marketing mix. So I think that's another part about making sure it's consistent is to actually be able to measure it um, to, you got to know the brand personality and you got to know the consumer's perception and experience. And so those, those sort of things do have to be weighed and balanced. Right. And then I think also just to uh, complement that is that the component of being recognizable that goes along with having the exposure and the brand personality being something that people do take note of from past experiences. And, you know, that's going to influence how, how motivated they are to actually go out and purchase that product or listen to the rest of the ad. Right. And so kind of talking about um, that experience, uh, Allison, you want to talk about kind of like how that works? Yeah. And, and this is, you know, kind of going back to a um, experience that I had in it. It's just so rings true to brand harmony that I think it's really important to kind of set the scope, right? This, this, the idea of brand harmony is not difficult. It's right. It's quite obvious. Yes. Everything within our brand should really be telling the same story, but in practice and in reality, that isn't always the case. And um, there was a point where I was sitting in um, uh, a brand manager's office at a very large CPG company, and they had a situation where they were coming out with a new home fragrance. Basically, the brief that was given was that it was going to be vanilla. So marketing starts developing um, their materials and the communications and the potential um, product concepts, as well as R&D goes in their direction. They're all working off the same product brief of vanilla. Yet when we do all of our um, tests, you know, marketing, they're doing their communications research, R&D is doing their product and sensory testing. What they came out with was a fragrance that was actually um, rather floral. So it had notes of bergamot and cedar and jasmine. It was a little bit more of an earthy vanilla. However, marketing took it the direction of, um, you know, vanilla ice cream and satin sheets and big cozy blankets. And the um, winning concept was, uh, you know, very sweet. It was vanilla macaroons and the name was vanilla sweetness. The bottle was a little bit pink, yet the sensory experience was more earthy. Yeah, and that's There's a really no, good good example there that yeah. sometimes you have people working in silos, right? Especially mm -hmm. when it comes to R&D versus marketing. Often they're not even in the same building, sometimes not even in the yeah. same state, right? Um, right. So they may never meet one another. Exactly. And the brand manager is sitting in the office and, you know, this is after months and months of development, both from the marketing and the communication side. There's really no turning back at this point. Um, they're going to put this product out and we know there's a disconnect. Right. We know there's not harmony between, right, we know there's not that harmony between what a consumer is expecting from what the package is communicating to them and what that sensory experience and that product experience is going to be. And ultimately like many other, Yeah, and like many other products, it's likely going to fail. And, and it's difficult because, Michelle, as you said, oftentimes they're not sitting in the same building. There isn't that bridge 
that connects the two, that there's this communication between mm -hmm. both of these groups during the process. And that's really where, you know, the issues lie. And it's, it's really at a, a structural, corporate structural yeah. issue. Now, another part of that is that it's kind of the brand manager's job to bring those two pieces together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what we've definitely seen and from my previous lives working, you know, in a brand management team at a large company, um, you know, a lot of times when it comes to picking a winning fragrance, it's chosen by a brand manager just saying, I like this one more. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's meeting the consumer's expectations, right? Mm -hmm. And that seems like it also kind of ties into how are you interpreting uh, what the prompt is, whatever it is. So for this example, what's your example of vanilla? And then people just go out in their separate ways and, you know, yeah. go and That's why testing is so important, right? Yes. Um, to be able to understand, okay, what is the consumer expecting? What are they actually experiencing? Um, you know, for our part, we, we use certain measures, right? So we often will use implicit testing or physiological measures. Now, traditionally, um, if you're gonna do a traditional sensory approach on the R&D side, then they'll have people, you know, rate on scales. And, you know, if you're gonna do any of these, we would want to combine it with that. Um, and then, of course, the same thing has to happen on the marketing side though, right? So that their expectations are being gauged as well. So if they're gonna see that package, do they see it as being affordable? Do they see it as being sweet? Um, do they see it as being healthy or more herbal? Um, those sort of things you want to make sure match and you can use these different tools to, to sort of gauge that there's a match there. So Michelle, are you suggesting that um, when there is sensory measures that of the consumer emotional experience, that would be more of when you'd use the psychophysiological measures? Yeah, the huge difference here between implicit and the physiological measures are implicit measures specific words, which can be really great for marketing concepts, right? Because those are words that can be very difficult for the participant to sort of recall on their own, right? Um, but you can start to gauge what they are using implicit testing because the word affordable or the word healthy will come up and you can get a measure as to how strongly they feel about it on specific terms. But when it comes to physiological measures, you, you don't get specific words, you get more emotional gauges, right? So are they feeling more relaxed? Are they feeling more excited? Are they feeling um, more approachable to something? Are they feeling more like retreating from it? Are they more positive or more negative? All those things can be important to see whether or not something's performing significantly better than another. And, and physiological measures can be really good for that. I see. So, so the physiological measures, it, it helps to make sure that there's a fit to concept or it meets specific... More emotional, yeah. Okay. And then the implicit is really better for looking at specific conceptual type ideas and words. Or descriptors really is a good way to talk about it. But now we're going to have a case study that is probably near and dear to, to Allison um, because that's the best way to kind of talk about an example, right? Is to see it in action. Yeah, so kind of going along that theme of um, home fragrance, we had a client that was looking to create a new package for an existing plug-in um, device. And the current product had um, messaging around being effective and being long-lasting. So before moving into um, developing these, these new products and the new packaging, we wanted to determine, okay, are we even delivering that right, that correct message? 
what does that marketplace look like? Maybe we should be talking about something a little bit different. So what we wanted to do was look at um, kind of what this messaging should, should be. So moving on, what we had actually done was we did a traditional MaxDiff exercise to prioritize um, different needs and priorities when considering purchasing a home fragrance device. And what we found was long lasting and effective were the attributes that drove consumers to purchase. So those were those most important attributes. And in our mind, great, that's already on our package. We're really hitting on those messages um, that are most important to consumers. We're doing a great job. However, when we did the implicit association test to understand consumer perceptions of the current marketplace, when considering our client's brand and two competitor brands, what we found was that our brand, our client's brand was not being associated with long lasting and effective. So what Even we're really though, seeing here is kind of like on the left side, it's the expectations, right? And the right side, it's the experience. So it's like really clear that there is a mismatch. Right, there is that clear mismatch. Why is it that the messaging that I have on my package is not being connected with my brand? You know, that the package is only so big. How is that disconnect happening? And what we actually did to diagnose this was we used the psychophysiological measures and eye tracking to dissect and diagnose the, the current package. And what we found was there is that disconnect between the messages that were on the pack and the brand, they actually just weren't seeing the brand at all. There, there wasn't that connection. So what we needed to be able to do was better make that connection. We know that the brand can deliver something that's long lasting and effective and that's what they're trying to push. However, that communication experience wasn't um, communicating that or really delivering that and driving it home with the consumer. So, so Alice, you're saying that the unmet need was within the, not necessarily the product, but it was with the communications, right? Absolutely. The product was there. It was a long lasting and it was a very effective product. However, the consumer just wasn't perceiving it that way because of some of the issues and the disconnect on the package itself. Yeah. So that makes it really clear and really easy to do. Um, you know, we, we've been able to do it pretty successfully uh, multiple times now, um, especially when it's in conjunction with already ongoing research using traditional tools. Um, so, you know, this is a really great way of like assessing brand uh, harmony. And in what you're saying specifically that I think is even more meaningful is that um, not only are you seeing whether or not it's harmonious or disharmonious, but you can see specific things that you can fix, right? Right. And exactly. I think also it's telling you what are the drivers that are really helping motivate consumers to feel that this product is meeting its promise, like yeah. you kind of circle back to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that that, um, that pretty much explains uh, brand harmony and how, how we approach it. Um, you know, we've been really successful with it and we do have uh, some uh, I believe there's a webinar that we've talked about it in the past. Uh, so feel free to reach out uh, if you're interested in learning some more, seeing some other examples. Um, I don't know that we have a, uh, 
white paper on it, Catherine? I'm we do. Wondering. It's coming out very shortly, so stay yeah. tuned for that. Yep. And definitely the pieces that go into it, we do have white papers on, so feel free to visit our website. Um, tweet along with us, uh, ACD Research uh, or ACD Neuroscience. Um, follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, definitely subscribe right now. Do it now. Like <laughs> and subscribe to our YouTube channel and visit our blog where uh, Catherine uh, mostly and sometimes myself and other people wax poetic on all these ideas. Um, but feel free to reach out anytime and we hope that you will join us again for our next conversation. Uh, some sort of interesting curiosity that we will be discussing. Uh, thank you, Allison, for joining us and hope everybody has a wonderful day. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Until next time, everyone.